Welcome to the podcast from In Church, Phoenix. This message is, I See Me, with Pastor Jack Haynes, August 6, 2017. I'd like you to reach your hand out towards me now and just pray for me. Father, thank you for this privilege today. Thank you for what we've just seen on the screen. Thank you, Father, that lives are really, truly being helped and impacted. Lord, thank you that we have a part to play in that. It's a, such a, a privilege, Lord. It's such an honor. We just thank you today. And now, Lord, as we speak in all of our locations, I pray the Holy Spirit will take these words and truly impact our hearts. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My text this morning uh, is from John chapter 4. It's that familiar story of the woman at the well. So Jesus has been encountering her, talking to her. The disciples have gone into town to buy groceries. And so we pick it up in verse 27. Then his disciples, uh, just then his disciples arrived. And they were astonished to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked him why he was doing it or what they had been discussing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said. I have food you don't know about. Well, who brought it to him? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing His work. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Or as the New King James Version says, lift up your eyes. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for harvesting. Look around you, my disciples. Look around you, my followers. Lift up your eyes. You know, the disciples walked right past that woman And it's like they never saw her. I mean, they 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 could they 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 just and they never saw her. They didn't ask him. Well, why why what was that all about? What 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 did you say to her? Why were you why were you talking? You know what? They just didn't see her. The Message Bible says it like this. Jesus said, "The food." that keeps me going, is that I do the will of the One who sent me, finishing the work He started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time for the harvest? Well, I'm telling you, open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe It's harvest time. The disciples saw Samaritans, but they did not see Samaritan fields. 
The disciples saw Samaritan people, but they did not see Samaritan souls. No, no, no. Their focus was on what was right in front of them. The groceries. They had just been in town buying groceries, buying the supplies. No, no, they were focused on the groceries that they had just brought. No, they were focused on the fact that somehow Jesus said he had just eaten. How did he do that? No, no, no. They were focused on how tired they were from the day's walk that finally brought them there to Samaria. You see... You cannot reach for what you cannot see. You don't even feel responsible for what you don't see. And so what was Jesus saying to his followers? I want you to see. I want you to see. It's not that you don't love souls. It's that you don't see souls. Why does Jesus say, open your eyes. Look around you. Take a good look at what's right in front of you. Lift up your eyes. Why is he saying that? They're not blind. Why is he saying that? Because we can look and not see. Because we get blinded by our own needs. Because we have this natural propensity to nearsightedness. Which means we don't see good in the distance. We just only see good what's up close and what's near. I'm good at seeing what's close to me. And yet, family, long before Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, He teaches us to pray Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh yes, we need the groceries. And yes, we, we should pray, of course. But that comes way down in the prayer that begins with thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder if God answered all of our prayers today. I wonder if by 12 o'clock today, every prayer, all of our prayers were answered. Would it change the world? Or would it just change me? Would it just change my circumstance and my situation and my little focus? We need to see beyond ourselves. Family, we cannot get away from the heart of the one we serve. His heart. His heart. We see revealed there in Luke 15 when he gives us three parables of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And we see there that God leaves found things for lost things. God will take found things and, and go find lost things. That which is lost. This is God's heart. We cannot get far from His heart, follower of Christ. 
This is God's burden, lost things. This is God's passion, that which is lost. And it should be my heart. It should be my burden. It should be my passion. Missions should be my mission should be the first thing in my budget. It should be, I should feel and think about it like he does. Like he does. I should be making his last command my first priority above the groceries or whatever else is near to me. Souls. 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 The disciples looked right past that Samaritan woman. They did not see a soul. Jesus said, open your eyes. They saw Samaritans. They didn't see souls. You know, on the 7th of February, 2009, many of you, if not most of you, will remember that day, Black Saturday, the bushfires of Victoria. I know Craig Marr remembers that day because Craig was one of our chaplains. When 173 people perished in the worst bushfires in Australia's history. 173 people tragically lost their lives. Do you know, if you lined up 173 people and put them in a line, that line would be over 50 meters long. On 9-11 in 2001, in New York City, all of us probably remember where we were when 2,100 people perished as airplanes flew in to those twin towers. 2,100 people. People. You know, if you lined 2,100 people up in one line, that line would be a kilometer long. At 11.56 a.m., just four minutes before lunch, before noon, on April the 15th, a couple of years ago, as Carissa and I were descending from the base camp of Mount Everest, our third day in the descent, a 7.8 earthquake hit Nepal. The Kathmandu Valley shifted three meters. Everest dropped in elevation. And nine thousand people were killed. People. Nine thousand people. We were almost one of them. Or two of them. And you know, if you took nine thousand people and lined them up in one line, you know that line would be four and a half kilometers long. If you started at the front of that line, you would have to walk four and a half kilometers to get, to get to the end of that line and looked at the face of every person. December the 6th, 2004, when I was the president of Assemblies of God World Missions, the tsunami hit. Banda Aceh and Sri Lanka. And 250,000 people perished in just seconds, in just moments. 250,000 people. 
people. People. You know, if you line up 250,000 people, if, we, if that line started at the front of our church here in Penrith, that line would go all the way up five and a half kilometers past Mount Victoria. In Darwin, that line would go out the door, down past Litchfield, and stop just short of Charlotte. In Melbourne, that line would go out of Caroline Springs all the way to Geelong. In Phoenix this morning, if you walked out the front door of the refuge and went over to the I-17 and went straight up that I-17 until the verge there at the 69 turn off to Prescott, that's where the end of that line would be. People, souls. We're told today that there are 7,130,000,000 human beings alive right now on the planet. And of that number, 4 Point nine billion are not Christians. 4.9 billion. How long is that line? You know, that line is so long that if it went out the door of any of our locations today, if it went out the door of any of our locations, it would go all the way around the earth. Again and again and again, 37 times. This is our assignment. This is what Jesus wants us to see. To see. This is what He wants us to see, followers of Christ. This is what He wants us to lift up our eyes to see. And yet, the truth is, Satan has a strategy. Oh, no, no, no. He has a strategy. One that he banks on more than any other strategy of all of his strategies. His number one strategy. His absolute bulletproof, like 99.9% effective. He can just file his nails, whatever they... And, and confidence because he has a strategy, a strategy that has been so effective for so long it's almost bulletproof while these lines are going around the world of the untold and the unreached. And Jesus says to his followers, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. Satan's number one best scheme strategy is that he bets on our propensity for self-interest. He knows that we have this gravitational pull toward selfishness. He has had incredible success for thousands of years betting that we will put ourselves before anyone else. He just knows that this is are lean in and he banks on it and he counts on it. And yet here we are, we're Christians, we love Jesus, we have a great revelation of Christ, we're in church, and yet he still has this strategy in his hip pocket. We, we, we can see it, it's like, it's like that time that Jesus asks his disciples, he says, 
Who do men say that I am? It's in, uh, uh, it's in Mark chapter 8. Yeah, I think you can also read it in Matthew. But in, in verse 29, he asked them, who, then he says, Jesus says, and who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. I think in Matthew's version it says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How many think Peter got it right? Oh yeah. I mean like Peter got it like, you couldn't get it more right than Peter got it in that very moment. But stick with me, because this moment's going to stretch into about four verses. But in this moment, I mean that's like Peter was born to say that. I mean it's like Peter's day. You are the Christ. And then Jesus says strictly to them, don't tell anyone, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed! Be killed! And after three days rise again. And He said it plainly. And Peter, who had just finished the syllables, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, Peter, the last thing he just said out of his mouth was like honey in the rock. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No! No, 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 no! I rebuke you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. No! Listen to this. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. Listen to what he says to him. Listen to what he says to him. Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What? 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 You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are the devil. What? Wait, 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 wait. What happened there? What happened in those four verses? Strategy number one happened. Let me read this to you from the NIV in, in verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, listen to it, listen to it. You, have, you, you do not have the mind and the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Your concerns. You don't see me. You just see yourself. From you are the Christ to get behind me, Satan, in four verses shows you how powerful this strategy is. Peter fell for Satan's most effective trap. How's this going to affect me? I rebuke you. This can't be your will for me. You see, Satan wants to make man think that man has a better idea than God. And he is so counting on my self-interest. He is so counting on me not having a burden and a heart for others and for lines that circle the earth. We heard Beth Moore teach on this at Hillsong Conference this last week. She showed this like I'd never seen it before and she began to teach us about this strategy of the devil. She says it began in Genesis chapter 11 with a project. The project was called the Tower of Babel. 
You remember the story? In the Bible, men got together. They had a better idea than God. As a matter of fact, they just got together and pushed God completely out. And they said, we are going to build. We are going to build this tower. It is going to reach up into heaven. And so you remember the story. The Tower of Babel. The root word became the name, not just now of a project, but of a place called Babylon. Babylon. It started as a project. It became a place. Eventually, it became a region, the region of Babylon. Until ultimately, it became an empire. The empire of Babylon. Babylon was the empire that took Israel, God's people, into captivity and today wants to take you and me into captivity. And now, as Beth Moore began to read the Scripture from Isaiah... For Americans, the Isaiah Scripture. For Aussies, the Isaiah Scripture. (laughs) Just so we don't lose our Phoenix location this morning. Beth taught us that now Babylon is not just a locality. It is a mentality. It is a mentality that wants to take us captive. And here's what we read. God begins to describe the mentality of Babylon. I'm from Isaiah 47 and verse 8. And if you'll go up to those first two verses, you'll see he's speaking of Babylon. This is who this is addressed to. And listen to what he says in verse 8. Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, you who dwell securely, you who say in your heart, now wait for it, because this is what Babylon says. This is the heart of of the Babylon mentality that the devil counts on. Listen to it. Listen to it. You who say Babylon, this is her philosophy. This is what she says in her heart. She says, I am. And there is no one else besides me. Now we know those are blasphemous words because those were the words that God spoke about Himself at the burning bush in front of Moses when He said, Tell them I am. I am. I am that I am. And so now, here's Babylon. And this is her motto. This is her heart. This is her spirit. This is her philosophy. I am. And it's all about me. It's about what I want, what I will, what I like, what I choose, what I think, because, well, because there's really nobody else but me. And we read in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1, One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came and spoke to me. Come with me. I'm going to show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The rulers of the world have had immoral relations with her. And the people who belong to this world have been made drunk, drunk by the wine of her her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, had seven heads, ten horns, and written all over with blasphemies. Blasphemies. 
against God. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. She held in her hand a goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. And a mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon, the great mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. The great prostitute Babylon on which the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. Beth Moore said, Satan is the pimp of the whore Babylon. And being under the influence of the Babylonian mentality is called being drunk. The drunkenness of the intoxicating power of Knownness, being known, because I am. I'm drunk with wanting to be known. We are obsessed with ourselves. And this wine is spilling into Christ's church. And Satan is counting on it, dulling and lulling us to have drowsy eyes so that we won't see a line that reaches around the world 37 times. But I heard another voice in Revelation 18.4. I heard another voice. And it said, it came from heaven and it said, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and receive her plagues. Come out of her, my people. Do not be drunk on her wine. You see, the biggest burden we carry is our own egos. We're just intoxicated with ourselves. We are addicted to being known and noticed and recognized and regarded. Every second, the Internet tells us, 1,140 Selfies are taken every second. A million a year. I think I read one website that said something like 35 billion selfies posted to Google or to to, to the Internet. Why is it that when I look at a photo, all I see in the photo is me? What's up with that? You know, I mean, it could be a, it could be like I could be sitting right there on that beautiful front row, right there, right in the middle, and there's the photo, and I'm looking at the photo, and all I see is me, and then I'll enlarge it, and I'll go, oh, I, I look kind of fat in that photo, my, oh no, 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 I, I can see a shiny, I don't, oh, what was, what was I thinking? Here's all these beautiful people. Why is it that all I see is me? The name of my message today is I seen me. Years ago, when we were in Hawaii with Terry Wong, his little three-year-old daughter, Vanessa, we were all taking a group photo. She's so cute. She's so pretty. All dressed in her little pretty frills. And just before the photo was taken, I stepped in front of her. And she grabbed on my coat. And she said, Hey! She said, I can't see me. (laughs) 
Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. The Living Bible, do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now for reaping. Babylon says, I see me, and I'm so drunk with seeing me that I can't see anybody else. Mission says, I see vast fields of human souls ripening all around me and are ready for reaping right now. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil. Be sober because the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Be sober because the devil is seeking whom he may devour. And it's not you. We think that's about me. We think the devil's trying to devour me. No, 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 we're good. Come on, we're in Christ. We're in the blood. We're, we're safe. We're sound. We're, come on, that's not about me. It's not me that's going to be devoured. No, be sober. Because he's seeking whom he may devour. Those who are not covered in the blood. Those who are not in the family of God. Satan's strategy is be drunk on the wine of your own self-focus so I can devour the souls of men. While you stagger in the stupor of self-adulation, I will kill, steal, and destroy. While you say, I see me, I'll say, I seek them. Jesus' strategy is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. Because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes it. Jesus' strategy is, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But Jesus knows we won't reach what we don't see. And that's why He says to us on this Mission Sunday in Sydney and Darwin and Phoenix and in Melbourne, lift up your eyes. I honestly don't think that Satan ever counted on a church like you. A church where our focus and our passion is others. We just saw it on the screen. A church that lives to give, that lives to help, that lives to serve, that lives to share, that lives to divest ourselves from temporal things that we might gain eternal things. No, no, I don't think the devil ever counted on a church like you. A church that exists to make his last command our first priority. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. Join us live on Sunday or at our midweek Connect small group meetings in North Phoenix, Arizona.